0: Welcome to the Find and Follow podcast, where we believe life is in the light, spiritual darkness is the enemy, and finding and following Jesus is the best way to live life. I'm your host Scott Langhans, with my co-hosts Craig, Craig, and Kyle. Hey, hey, and we got our special guest today, Chris Laurie. Howdy ho. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Coming guys. all the I way from it. the
1: CDA. It was a long
0: trek. It, it is a longer drive. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, that's Coeur d'Alene for anybody who's not familiar out of the area. I crossed over <laughs> into the dark side this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> you got to go from Idaho to Washington. I do that every day, and there's some days I don't want to cross the river.
1: It's it's sort of like apocalyptic right now, though. Like. I like, come from idaho that seems like everything is kind of still the land of the living and i come into washington and it feels totally different to be honest
2: yep
3: (laughs) and for that reason a lot of washingtonians are moving going the other way yeah yeah same with
1: californians and
0: uh Oregonians. Anybody with a reasonable brain, <laughs> is that too far? Did we go too far on that? I don't know. It is kind of interesting. You're gonna
2: we're gonna get our podcast flagged now. So <laughs> what? We're gonna get taken down. YouTube's gonna <laughs> be like, nope,
0: violate it." They're listening. <laughs> yeah. Whoever they are. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. More viewers. That's great. It's just great. a computer. It's an algorithm. Hey, maybe no. they'll just keep listening and hear more about Jesus, because uh, that's yeah. what we're what we're all about. But it is interesting when we're out and about in Idaho, and you pull into parking lots, and you're like, "Oh, hey, hey, Washington, Washington, Washington," <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh." That's it's interesting. It is. Interesting. Very interesting. So Chris, uh tell us a little bit about yourself. You're you're a pastor, but your your father, your husband, uh, a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm a pastor of a church in Coeur d'Alene called Anthem. Um also like Scott said, a dad of two of a fifteen year old and an almost ten year old.
0: You got a high schooler.
1: I have a sophomore in high school.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. Oh boy, that makes you very, feel old, very weird. right? Yeah, I'll be forty-two next month, so I feel, I, I, I feel like I've r- surpassed the crest. <laughs> the crest? What are we cresting? <laughs> I, I think forty was my crest. Oh, it Was I don't know. That's midlife, right? I,
3: I hope you're wrong about that, because I'm in deep trouble. <laughs> Craig's in a deep valley right now. I am uh, way over the other side of that crest, if that's true.
0: I always say to people, especially people who are older, I was like, in light of eternity, we're all just getting going.
3: We're just kids. You're just that's getting
0: true. rolling in light yeah. of eternity. Yeah, Bible says our life
3: like is that. but a vapor.
1: It
0: doesn't feel like that. You're back. <laughs> I know.
1: My body feels like it's been going for a long time. <laughs> like, oh, it's been some wear and
0: tear. <laughs> Well, because you're an active guy. You've had some wear and tear.
1: I have over the years. Um, I'm not as active since COVID. COVID put a halt on things for me. But, yeah, I grew up snowboarding a lot, skateboarding a lot, um, and then done a couple Ironman races. That's why
0: you're on the podcast, (laughs) fellow triathlete, (laughs) fellow Ironman. Exactly. Break any bones
3: skateboarding in your younger days? Uh, I... Were Broke my der-
1: wrist snowboarding one time. Oh, snowboarding. That's, that is the only uh, real damage I've ever had.
3: Were you a, a daredevil skateboarder? Uh,
1: snowboarder, yeah. Sk- uh, skateboarding, it's kind of, my, my story is kind of weird because snowboarding was my life. Growing up, really thought that that was the direction the Lord was taking me in my life. And um, anyway, I don't know how deep you want to get into that, but... You know, it ended up being, skateboarding ended up being kind of the industry that the Lord placed me in, that I ended up yeah. spending a large chunk, chunk of my life in ministry.
0: We always love to hear people's stories of how they mm-hmm. found okay. Jesus. So how did you find Jesus? Because yeah. I know that all kind of connects and relates, and we can yeah. get into BFC2 stuff. Absolutely. I think that's super interesting.
1: Yeah, so I I, uh, I grew up in the church. My, my parents, you know, took me to church every Sunday. I was involved in youth group, kind of did that whole thing, but... Very much so lived kind of a two faced life. I had church friends and I had my snowboard skate friends and Those two worlds never collided I, in fact i didn 't really want them to know each other and uh, that gave me freedom to do what I wanted <laughs> on on one side of things and you know in my my senior year of high school um and this isn't like a big deal, but I I ended up signing a contract with a snowboard company and getting sponsored as a snowboarder, which at 17 years old felt like an amazing fit. yeah you know I'm superstar. I get, I get I get some free snowboards. Yeah, yeah. dude, that's oh, awesome. There you go. It and feels so like a million that, bucks. I that bet to me was like worth it, worth its weight in gold. And um, it was two months after signing that contract and getting some free boards and thinking that this was kind of like the cat's meow. Um, uh, my dad ended up taking me to Seattle for kind of like a f- last father-son big trip before I graduated from high school. So this was spring of 96, and he took me to an event called Promise Keepers. Oh, yeah. And there's about 60,000 guys at the, in the
0: kingdom. kingdom. Yeah, yep. I was there. Yep. I was there. My dad yep. took me. Seriously, Sweet. it was way, a thing to do. Way up there, the nosebleeds, man.
1: That's that's where I was. Dude, we probably sat next to each story, other, man. Right Dude, to that's crazy. <laughs> I was Ninety-six thousand men. I was literally up in the very top, very the back. top. And um, oddly enough, ironically enough, the guy who was speaking, his name was Greg Laurie. Yeah. So, uh, and kind of delivered the same gospel message I had heard all my life, and I, I really, for some reason, at that point in time, it took it took root in my heart and i just i can remember running down to the stage practically from the nosebleeds and that took like a little while that my, was a long walk my eyes out yeah. yeah and just knew that this was real and i can't really describe it any more than that than knowing something was taking root in my heart that hadn't existed prior and this whole idea of relationship with with jesus was um was just fresh and seemed very intriguing versus I think growing up in church and being around it, which, you know, my parents weren't like hyper-religious. I didn't grow up in a hyper-religious church. It was a charismatic church and a very friendly, like amazing church that always preached relationship with Jesus. But that point in time was just, my heart was primed for it. And, um, I, I jumped in like all in, and I remember opening up my Bible, Within a couple months of that experience with the Lord, and one of the first passages I read was First Peter four ten, and it says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, mm-hmm. faithfully administering God's gifts and grace in its various forms. And I remember reading that passage and thinking, "Well, what gifts has God given me?" And at that point, I'm like, "Snowboarding, Snowboard, man! <laughs> I got free boards for sure. I got a gift." No. Theology did not exist at that point in my life. It was just like, "Hey, what what has God given me? How can?" What what he's put in me be a blessing to others and but
0: that's that's a hundred percent good theology because that's just where you were at that time.
1: For following sure. Jesus.
0: You're like, ah, uh, all right, you know, I got For gifts,
1: sure. I got talents. What do I do? And, I mean, and in the mid '90s, I think I, I don't know that the church knew what to do with skateboarders and snowboarders and kind of that ragtag group. Shut was, them out.
0: That's yeah, usually what happened. They didn't
1: get them. Yeah, you know, and and so that was uh, that that was part of my story too is just always my personality always feels a little misunderstood. Um, like people don't get me just kind of quirky and never really went with the flow. And, and so, um, I, at, at that point, um, like reading that passage, giving my life to Jesus, graduating from high school that, that year, I, I literally like walked away from everything that summer, summer of 96. And it was like, I, I walked away from all the friends that i had hung out with in high school that like didn't know the Lord. I really felt like there was this distinct separation being done in my life. And I was a highly social kid. And so I can, I can literally remember sitting on the steps of my house that I grew up in, um, at night, looking up into the stars, like bawling my eyes out, going like, Lord, uh, you know, I know you called me to follow after you, but I feel super lonely right now because, mm-hmm. like, I, I've literally, I have left these relationships behind because I know they weren't good, healthy relationships for me, but I felt so lonely. So for an extroverted, very social kid to go through a season where he honestly felt like he had no friends that really mm. understood where he was at, yeah. it was hard for me.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, And so... That kind of led to my, my freshman year of college at NIC in Coeur d'Alene and walked into class, my, the first class, 7.30 a.m., like Monday morning of college, and sat down at a table with a guy who I graduated high school with that we never hung out together in high school, and we began this conversation, and it turns out like he had this experience where he rededicated his life to Jesus that summer, and I had had this experience and honestly to this date, so it's been, you know, 26 years ago, he's like my best friend and the Lord just united us in the right moment of time of life. And um, so like our first semester of school, uh, just to give you kind of an idea of where we were at, we had 21 absences. in in one of our classes because we (laughs) snowboarded a lot. Was there only 21 (laughs) classes? (laughs) How many times did the class I don't even know. I just remember that number. And (laughs) I remember the the professor sitting us down at the end of the semester going like, you guys both have A's in my class, (laughs) but uh, you've missed 21 classes. And so I'm going to dock you a letter grade just because you weren't here. Oh, no. And we were like. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. We got the board. We still <laughs> boarded <B is, laughs> a lot. B is still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you just you're like, You're a
0: good teacher, it man. Was, we don't show up much, but we really get what you're shot. saying.
1: <laughs> um, that's awesome. But so anyway, all that all that to say, like w- one of the kind of shifts the Lord did in my heart was kind of this word I felt like he gave me at that time, which was I didn't call you to be the professional rider, I called you to pastor the professional riders. And that was really what transpired over 15 years of my life we Uh started a ministry to skateboarders and snowboarders called borders for christ which kind of led me over a 15-year period to living in three different cities traveling to 12 different countries like being on tour year-round just sharing the gospel of jesus uh with kids through skateboarding
0: yeah you would show up at a place put on a an expo an event have all these guys that could do amazing things with skateboards, right? And you set up ramps and in a parking lot or a church parking lot or somewhere, right? Yep. And you would, you would skate, draw a crowd, and then you would share Jesus with people and you would see students and, and people come to Christ yeah. and, and be open to have one of those light bulb moments like you did at the kingdom going, oh, wow, this has never sunk in and where God would use you. And you say we were on tour, which sounds really classy and fancy. (laughs) But I know. It was a bunch of dudes in a van. Yes. Traveling around the country, (laughs) sleeping out of a van, like not necessarily with the best hygiene, per se, and just late nights and a lot of travel, right? I mean, it's... Yeah,
1: it was... I mean, eight months out of the year, we literally lived in a van, put, you know, 200,000 miles a year on a van and pulling a trailer full of ramps and figurating across the United States. I mean, in a... 10-year period I've literally got to see every city and every state in the United States which for a bunch of kids that we were taking on tour with us between like 16 and 22 like what a cool experience that they literally saw the country and also got to see God do some really amazing things um and the majority of these guys that would go on the road with us were um like sponsored skateboarders like good skateboarders but the majority of them did not grow up in Christian homes and came to faith in Jesus through the ministry. Yeah, in, in some that's it. So, that's so
3: good. Um, through hanging
0: out with you in a van and the other guys who were like, yeah. "We're following Jesus," you get a lot of chat time on the road there.
1: And I but, always people used to always uh, make comments to us when we were on the road. They'd say, "Like, oh, it must be so cool to be these evangelists, like living on the road and just sharing Jesus." And um, which was cool at first. And what I started to realize years into traveling a lot with them was that um, evangelism was kind of it was just the overflow of what happened because discipleship really was the heartbeat and when you put eight to ten guys in a van for eight months at a time figurating the united states discipleship happens in the van yeah and the overflow of people who are following jesus and learning to live their lives devote their lives to him um is the evangelism just becomes a part of what you do. So like we weren't just evangelists child, we were followers of Jesus that liked skateboarding. Yeah. That the, the more we pressed into Jesus and began to follow him and lay down everything for him, like evangelism was just something you of course, you like come follow Jesus as I'm following Jesus, you know. And so that was really a there there was some really formative things for me in 15 years of doing skateboard ministry. That, you know, years later when I would plant a church, um, it's like that was Bible college for me. I mean, you and I met in Bible college, yeah. which for me was only like a two-and-a-half-year period. Right, over at Northwest um, University, yeah. Northwest. And, you know, I literally went there just for – I'm I'm only going there for Bible education. I was yeah. already 20 years old. I had two years of college under my belt at that point. I'm like, I'm just here to get the job done. And, like <laughs> – Go do what I know God's called me to do. Which wasn't the experience for everybody at Northwest. No, no,
0: (laughs) no, no. And, you know, I think that's back to, like, the wisdom you had at that young age to go, okay, I know the gift that God's given me and this opportunity and the talent and ability to, you know, attract people and organize uh, this opportunity to go share Jesus around the country is huge. And I just think hopefully some people listening and hearing that would – would live into the things that God has put inside of them and their story and their passions and go, this is just as viable and as good for the kingdom of God for them to live out who they are as compared to, and we get in this trap, compared to like, well, Craig, you know, and you and your pastor, and I should probably do that for the kingdom because that's the pinnacle. Like, no, man, if it's God's calling you to get in a van with eight or ten dudes and go share Jesus with youth all around the country i just think in eternity man there's gonna be so many cool stories like i don't know how heaven works but i I just see like a bunch of people like chris chris we're gonna talk tomorrow i gotta tell you my story you remember when you were in texas you're like which time you know like i was at an event and just i don't know if that's the way heaven works but just these stories of eternal impact um as you shared too i thought you have a crisscross the country in a van story, too, when I you do. were young. It's a little different, though. It's a very different story, because I was <laughs>
3: really? not serving Jesus. <laughs> oh, really? What were doing? We were gone two months, my friend and I, and we covered uh, 13,000 miles in two months in a van, living out of the van, and we were in about 44 or 45 of the 48 states Wow. Uh, during that time. That
0: was before you were following Jesus. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, no, I, we left on that trip, and I hadn't even turned 18 yet. I turned 18 on that trip, and... Uh, yeah, we we did all the things that people that are not following Jesus typically do, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I don't know. I just as knowing your stories, awesome. I thought, oh, let's get some guys in a van and go across the country with two different purposes. I, yep.
1: I, I think and, the Lord kind of built me. I'm a bit of a gypsy, and that that lifestyle was. Yeah. I, I really loved it. I mean, there there were some really tiring moments, but like I, I was just telling my kids last night, I'm like, Mom and I need to get you in a van, and we need to like show you go see the yeah. country, you know? Yeah. Because. It, it's sort of, I don't know if you guys have been to Israel, but for me, you know, is, going to Israel was, um, was this experience where I'm so visual that, like, I, I have to see it, and I, when I read the Bible, like, I have to be able to place myself in that place and understand the context of what I'm reading about um, so that I can, like, fully immerse myself in it and understand it, and so when I look at our country, I was telling my kids last night, like, you need to get on the east coast, like, there's So much history there, and and once you see that stuff, it just totally reframes your worldview. Like you, you just aren't the same. And the West Coast is just way too new to experience (laughs) most of that. So yeah, it's true. There is something about seeing the country that, for me, was just
3: and that's true internationally. Any country, I mean, it just changes your, and and as you say, reframes your view of the world, and and makes you appreciate where you do live by traveling to all those other places. Um in, in that story that you know, I was just telling you about our trip, our two-month trip, uh, I went from there to college, and, and uh, I, I spent one year. And by the time I got done with that year, it's just like, I don't know why I'm going to college. I have no purpose in my life, um, and I still wasn't serving Jesus. And so I just, I, I just dropped out. And then I ended up coming to Christ And then, like you, it's like, okay, now I have a reason to go to college. I want to learn the Bible. Mm. I know what I'm being called to do, and I know I don't know the Scripture very well, and I know I need to, so somebody teach me. And I went, and that was, for me, it was the same thing as you. Just check that box, get that education, because I know I'm going to need that to go do what I know I'm being called to do.
1: Yeah, and I felt like the college experience was, there was two sides of it um, for me. There was one, like, the side of connecting with other guys like you, Scott, where... Even in the infancy of the skateboard ministry, these guys that I went to school with that became youth pastors really were the ones that let me cut my teeth on trying to get this thing off the ground before it kind of took off and we were traveling a bunch. So the Lord really networked me at that school um, in, in a way that like could not have happened on its own. Right. Um, like you came and did an event for my buddy Mario at, in Paulsbow.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 And so that's the church I started working at, serving at, helped plant a church at, out a new life church out of. And uh, Mara was like, yeah, I'm having Chris come over. He's going to do this
3: thing. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Yeah. Kyle, didn't we have, we had skateboard ramps here. Did we have that during your time as a um, student?
2: Not specifically, no. But yeah, we built some ramps out. man, Because that was me. I was I a was little kid who thought I was a skateboarder, right? And so, I mean, we had tons of events like that that was like, oh, cool, skateboarders, I'm going to that church, right? Because, you know, I was a snowboarder and a skateboarder and so we had a that.
3: period of time where it was every Wednesday night for yeah. youth group for an hour prior to youth group getting started right out here in the parking lot.
2: Yeah, we'd skate competitions, right? Uh, yeah, it was cool. We had outreach events with, you know, we'd put on and we'd judge them and skate. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. We had some legit skateboard stuff for our youth group. We had to we'd store them out there every week and roll them out. We had rollers on them. And, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh-huh.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Skating's ha- hung around, too. It's lasted for the test of time decades. Yeah. So there's always a skate group of people and culture and. You know, the X Games made it explode. So you get off the road after 15 years,
1: right? And kind of end, end yeah. with BFC era. Yeah, so we were we were in Seattle for six, doing that full time. And then we moved to San Diego for a few years. Um, and in San Diego, we, it was really when things kind of took off on a different level with the Borders for Christ stuff. And we were traveling constantly and doing a lot of events and serving with, like, Luis Palau and – um like going to festivals and that kind of stuff and that was a really neat kind of connecting networking time and uh and then in 2008 my mom was diagnosed with cancer and my wife and i had spent 10 years away from home just kind of following ministry chasing the dream like whatever opportunity came our way we were going to it and living the beach life in in san diego well, I, even though I lived in San Diego, I was never in San Diego. Oh, I literally okay. lived out of a suitcase for like <laughs> three years. It was insane. Yeah. Uh, but in '08, we ended up moving back to Idaho, and um, I kind of came back here kicking and screaming. Just I, I don't know. I, I I'm kind of like a big city kid. I love the city, the way the Lord had networked us, and with what I was doing with Borders for Christ at the time, it just felt like I needed to be in a hub city where there was a lot of skateboard industry and that was the place to be. And- So you yeah, picked Coeur d'Alene, was, Idaho. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, the Lord was calling us back to Coeur d'Alene. And I can remember being in the moving truck, driving back up to Idaho. And uh, we still had our, our office in San Diego with the guys running some of the ministry stuff down there, but I was tailing it back north. and. Um, I was in the truck and my wife was with our son in the car driving next to me and I just wrestled with the Lord like that whole drive up here. I felt like I don't want to go back there like it's a small town there's nothing for us like like there's no way I can run this ministry from there. Um, like The closest airport is Spokane and even that's like expensive to fly out of and I had all these reasons why it was just frustrating that I was having to go back there but knew the Lord was taking us and the Lord like spoke to me so clearly uh, in that truck, and He just said, "I'm I'm literally taking you somewhere where you'll get no recognition for what you do," and, and I really I really felt like that. I really felt like going back to Coraline for me was this dying to self season of whatever ministry looked like. It was gonna look like putting roots down in an area long term and like really developing a community of people in a place. Um, which we hadn't been because we were fairly transient like gypsies for 10 years prior and doing a lot of ministry stuff but not really planting down anywhere and and then um, as we came back to Coeur it was one thing led to another and we ended up planting a church and the majority of the people that we had served in ministry with through the Borders for Christ years all moved to Coeur as well and we sort of planted this church with the people we had been serving with for 10 years doing skateboard ministry. So it was a bunch of uh, guys that were skateboarders who got married and had kids and everybody was at a season in their life at that point where it's like, we're gonna plant down somewhere and we still wanna serve in ministry together. And so we literally started a house church. Like it was these, we had these Monday night BFC discipleship groups in Coeur Seattle, and San Diego going for 10 years. So whenever the guys weren't on tour, they had to be plugged into these discipleship groups. And when we came back to Idaho, I thought, like, these discipleship groups are great, but they don't reach the families. And these guys are married now, and they have kids. And so we were like, forget, like, the discipleship groups the way that we've known them. Let's just invite everybody to bring their friends and their family. Let's have dinner together. Let's worship together. Let's open up the Word. Let's pray, and let's just let's let's make this like a family effort and within the matter of like two or three months, there was you know seventy of us in a house, and we couldn't possibly like keep that yeah. going long term and we just looked at each other at one point and yeah. we' like. Maybe there's something different that the Lord's doing here. Like, <laughs> the van is a little bigger now, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, I just emi- envision,
0: like, all the guys now married and kids and stuff. You're like, well, we need 10 vans on the road now, everybody <laughs> traveling. That's It totally. just doesn't work. But it's the same thing you were doing. You're discipling <laughs> yes. each other, hanging out, following Jesus. And it's just different season of life. You're like, we kind of need a little more stability and, like, a house and maybe a spot where my kid could go to school, uh, but still following Jesus. Yep. Um, that's 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 awesome, and so that's that's the start of the anthem.
1: So, so yeah, so I didn't mean to plant a church; it just, it kind of happened.
0: It's the so. overflow of, yeah. of being the church and following Jesus. People come to know Him, and people are getting connected in community.
1: Yeah, I never really thought this would be my lot in life. So yeah, so planted a church, and I don't know. That's yeah the rest is history. That's been ten years now since we started so. helping
0: reach people in in Coraline. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. Our, our church has yeah.
1: gone through iterations, like we planted two years later, we merged with a 60-year-old church in Coeur d'Alene, and I took over for the whole thing, and then uh, we planted a second campus of that church three years later, and then we were running two campuses and kind of trying, to, we didn't know what we were doing, honestly, I, I don't know if I even know what I'm doing today, but like... <laughs> Like, from the beginning, it really just has been, like, I want people to know Jesus, and I want to do my best to be faithful to what God's asked me to do and teach the Word. And um, a year ago, we decided to take the two campuses and turn them into two autonomous churches. And so now I'm—and then my wife and I ended up going with the new plant downtown. And so we're now, like, a little over a year into almost replanting again. So I've kind of seen— church plant i've seen merger and like revitalization of a dying church and then um, now kind of replanting again and it's uh, I'm, I'm thinking this is my last,
0: <laughs> my last you're, gig. we I already know, covered it know. you're too old like, to do I'm anything new. yeah exactly yeah, you're so <laughs> over
3: the hill <laughs> so. which is probably not
0: true because no. of you know how you're wired and the way jesus is using you but whatever, is for the future. So you guys are Anthem CDA, Anthem Coeur d'Alene, meeting at a a middle school, right, or a high school? We meet at Boys and Girls Club. Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. And uh, then on 95, is it still Anthem Friends? Anthem Hayden. Anthem Hayden. Yeah. Okay, so Anthem Hayden, which is kind of sister church, like you said, but autonomous. So if people are driving by north on 95 in Hayden, they're like, oh, is that the Anthem? Yes, but no, that's, yeah. Still reaching people for Jesus in the CDA, which,
1: which is awesome. Yeah, it's been this whole idea of kind of contextualizing church has been really good for us. I mean, we went through like a year and a half cohort with Tim Keller and like, we're kind of learning about like church in the city and what it, what it, what the future of the church would look like. And so the whole idea of two campuses for us um, just started feeling really inconsistent with how we were wired because it felt like church is growing. I'm bouncing back and forth, like in one, location one week, another location the next, and 80% of the people that are attending, I have no idea who they are, and I just felt like that's so incongruent with how God's wired us, where we just, we're pastoring because we love people, and at the point that you don't know the people, it starts feeling like you're not actually pastoring. Yeah, there's a
3: difference between a shepherd and a a rancher, and you know, you, you start, start getting disconnected from the people you serve and lead and you become more like a rancher just a bunch of herding cattle right i don't have a relationship where a shepherd has a relationship with sheep totally yeah different different dynamic altogether yeah good for you
0: unless you're a small rancher my father-in-law's a rancher and i'm like he's probably the exception his cows know his voice he can call them from 100 acres away and they'll come to him he can spot them he'll know their numbers uh, the year they're born and the tag they have, he can like look at a herd of thirty and he can pick one out and go, "That's you know," and he'll know the. So number. he's not
3: actually a rancher; he's a shepherd of he's cows. He's a shepherd of
0: cows, is yep. really what he's been. You know, like I've been in. They have sh-
3: names too, don't they?
0: No, they just have no. cal- numbers. Cal- just numbers. Yeah. Uh, Cowper. Uh, you're <laughs> getting uh, getting slaughtered this year. That's your name. You're one, two, and three. <laughs> so he's not really Follow emotionally me. attached to them. I'll see you next summer on the barbecue. Oh my God. Filet. <laughs> uh yeah that's awesome. but um and then you also are i don't even know co-founder what do you say yourself co-owner of union coffee yeah. union roasters and in, in coeur d'alene yeah you uh, guys started that you and your brother right you and another brother, guy we have one other business partner. yeah so yeah, yeah that's been M- makes another venture that's a whole other story for another time but yeah. great coffee super good coffee super good and nuts. you guys got two locations you
2: two
1: two locations
0: which I haven't according. been to the second one yeah where's the second you one haven't? At? I haven't and I apologize
1: oh man it is was...
0: It is stellar I've seen the it's pictures cool. um it's it looks awesome favorite. I'll tell you what whoever's running the Instagram uh social media um your marketing's working oh yeah so my wife was on Instagram last night about 8 30 kids were wrapping up going to bed about 8 30 8 45 she goes she pauses on a, f- a scrolling feed on her phone and goes babe did you know? And it's a sponsored ad. Did you know Union at the second location has pretzels, homemade pretzels, and beer cheese? <laughs> they're open till ten. She literally said that to me. I'm like, "Well, oh, that that marketing is working." So this. you said We're you haven't run. You didn't Democratic. go then. You didn't no, go and I get your pretzel, go, babe. I look at the clock. I go, "We got an hour fifteen. Do you want to bounce right now?" Our kids are old enough; they're fine and they're you know sleeping. She's like, ah. "We almost bounced last <laughs> night to go get homemade pretzels and beer cheese." Uh, at 9:30 at night because dude that's her that's her all-time uh, yeah, jam she like m- she hunts down pl- we have to go to certain places just because they're pretzel and beer cheese hmm. that's sh- we'll hunt it down so baby if you're listening Thursday
1: night date night uh every Thursday so wait, night
0: so wait I we need to know where the
2: second union is I, yeah. I'm gonna hit that that's up it's
1: on North Ramsey like by Lake City High School okay yeah, yeah. right across the street so. yeah
0: there's a new uh strip mall development area there yeah, yeah done Yeah, Yeah. the The whole
1: business aspect of things really scratches an itch for me that i i don't get in the church which is just the creative realm and the entrepreneurial side of me that enjoys just starting new things and it, it was the coffee thing fell into our lap too because it was uh there was an old coffee shop in Cortland called Grumpy Monkey that had been there for a few years and the owners literally came to my brother and I and said we sort of want to be done with this business are you guys interested in buying it we think you guys would be kind of cool guys to to take this over and um, and so yeah one thing led to another and another friend of ours said I'll put up the money if you guys want to do it like so he gave us a private loan and we bought the land and renovated the space and got it going and um, for us, like the coffee side of things, like a win for us is not money in the bank. It really has been seeing our shops full of people and watching the conversations that happen over a cup of coffee. I mean, that's from day one for us. It's like there's people in there and they're talking over a table. I'm good. I don't mm-hmm. care what they're drinking or if they spend a bunch of money in there. Like there's something, there's something that that atmosphere provides that a church doesn't. And so, I'm also intrigued by this whole idea of like I think that's the direction church is going, yeah, like how do churches begin to provide spaces for community to actually be built for conversations to happen because I think historically church has been really good at providing venues for people to gather in once a week, but not necessarily venues where community takes place, and when I look at um like you look at You study, like, the synagogue in Jewish culture, and interestingly enough, it was kind of like a pub. Um, There was a lot happening there. I mean, it wasn't just religious services. It was actually people gathering and congregating to spend time together. And I just wonder sometimes, like, what it looks like for the church to begin to be that space, you know, the the space, the overlap. Because um, that's really what the church should be, bringing people together. Both the lost and the found, and they should be congregating together, and we should be encouraging those conversations. And it doesn't seem like we've done a really good job of that over the years.
0: So good. No, we we tend to get separate and isolate and segregate and allow only a few people in, and somehow we took the word where it's like, hey, don't be you know connected with the world, like you're in the world but not of the world. We kind of took that and applied it incorrectly, I think, where it's like, hey, no, you know how discipleship happens? You get around people and. You've got to get around people who don't know Jesus and get in a yeah. van or yeah. get in a small as, group. As a matter of fact, that's
3: exactly what Jesus got criticized for by the religious establishment of his day because he was hanging out with sinners. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. why, why would you hang out with those people? Yeah. And he said, well, that's who I came to, to seek. Yeah, yeah that's uh-huh. great.
0: Yeah, and it's always good for life changes to happen, whether it's at a coffee shop or, you know, location. We get a little hung up, I think, on it. But if it's at a home or building that is used to, for church gatherings, or if it's at a school, or if it's at a workplace, or a coffee shop, or a pub, or wherever. Like, Jesus changes hearts around the world.
3: I've planted two churches over the years, and we just recently planted another one here. But the other two that I'm thinking about, uh, one of them started in our home, then we met in our garage, then we met in a, uh, in a, a rented a, a space that was rented for uh, parties and beer bashes and stuff like that. In fact, we'd often have to, Mop the floor on Sunday morning after whatever happened that night, mm. Saturday night before. In a beer bash.
2: Yeah. I've, been, I've never been to a beer bash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe I have. I've just never <laughs> called it a beer bash. Well, <laughs> actually, I mean, actually we the think beer, have been to the beer bash beer, I, we still them, call it that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, maybe that's an old term. Um, and then and then we met in a hospital conference room across the hall from the morgue. I mean, we, we made church. Oh, you
0: could have a lot of good life and death yeah. conversation right know, there. And there's Jesus, the a, resurrection. resurrection. We've heard yeah. all the other. Oh, man, yeah, some good one jokes. Yeah, the one-liners and stuff.
3: Yeah. Um, then the church we started in Grand Coulee, we started off uh, meeting in a guy's garage who was, uh, uh, he owned his own, um, his own uh, butcher shop and d- did meat. And, and then on the side, he, people that went hunting, they'd bring their deer and stuff to him, and he'd, you know, do the processing. Hmm. So he'd often have deer hanging in the garage, you know. On a hook and we're meeting over in this corner over here with some chairs around a guy with a guitar and that's how the church started it's it's uh yeah it was it was fun realizing we don't have to be in a it, church building
0: no did you ever have a lamb like a, you could have a instant visual aid prop lamb of God and Just you could put it up on the front like the, no. don't don't the like the lamb led to the slaughter the lamb yeah, uh, yeah. No, I don't uh, remember that. too many good things there yep yeah
3: anyway all that to say it doesn't matter what kind of building or environment you're totally. in if people are relating and trying to help each other follow Jesus, then yeah. that's church. Yeah.
1: And or, I think there's like there's kind of a shift happening in with church buildings in general where I don't think there's anything wrong with a church building, but I think that definitely culture shifting to try to figure out um, how multi-use a church building can become because uh, if the goal is to like reach the lost, then we need to take what we have and figure out how we're, leveraging that in such a way that it's providing resources for the found and drawing in the lost and um, it's i don't know the the whole building thing for me has been this amazing study over the last couple years of watching what god's doing in inner cities even with old church buildings and without developers buying those buildings and tearing them down and putting up condos like how does the church keep its footprint in a metropolitan area in a downtown corridor of a city for the next hundred years. yeah, And the only way to do that is not to just continue what you've always been doing, but to take these spaces and this footprint, the, this gospel footprint in downtown corridors and revitalize them for gospel mm-hmm. purposes. So There yeah. are a
3: lot of church planters getting connected up with older church buildings and leaders whose congregations have shrunk and they're looking to reinvent themselves and hand off the facility. And yeah, I've heard lots of stories about church planters not unlike what you that. did when you did the merger over in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah.
0: But I if we, <clears throat> you know, I I'm, I'm I agree with you, Chris. If we get a little too, like, building-centered and don't understand how to share space or to have it multi-use, like, we're losing touch of, I think, with following Jesus and the kingdom of God. Because all, all we got to do is look at Europe and go, man, now when people travel to Europe and go visit churches because they're, architecture is cool or they're a museum or they have some you know amazing art on the ceiling or some sort of something. And, and yeah, there's probably once in a while maybe some people meeting there you know, for following Jesus or to connect with God a little bit, but more of like come and see a structure. And the American church is kind of headed that way if we don't understand mm-hmm. that's not building centric. And the idea like, oh, if you want to plant a church or start a church, okay, where can we meet? So let's start with a building. Like, that's, I think just so backwards thinking, it's not the kingdom of God thinking. It's, hey, who are the people in my life? What am I already doing? Hey, like your story, like, hey, I'm skating with these guys. I'm touring with them. Like, we should keep meeting together as people. And I got a house and that we wouldn't get caught up in the building thing because then I think we'll miss out on what Jesus is really trying to do. And if we just get building centric and then people are like, oh, the churches are dying. Like, no, the kingdom of God's always going to grow. Yeah. God's always going to win. Like, the gates of hell don't prevail. Like, the story is the kingdom grows. And so what are we doing to partner with what God is up to need to be more adapting and changing to culture and where people are at and how they're connecting? And Like, we've all had to experience this last year with live streaming and technology, and it does okay. It helps. It's better than not having it, but it's not the same as meeting together in person. It's not the same as eyeball to eyeball with folks. Not at all. For sure. So... Yeah. Should
3: um, we get to John twelve? John thirteen? Our thirteen? Yeah. We we usually do D- get a little actually, bit in. Are we actually really done with twelve?
0: I think we're done with twelve. Yeah, we kinda wrapped up I mean, you know, in the flow of what we say when we're done or move on, there's always more to talk about. Yeah. Okay. You get four pastors together and we're we're good to go for hours. <laughs> Chris is always trying to preach a two and a half hour sermon.
1: Yeah, more like three. More
0: like three. But nobody's Nobody's People buying that. For they want 20 won't. minutes of
1: it. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself for the last <laughs> the last two, two hours. hours. <laughs> You're
0: like, <laughs> the guy's in their janitor's in there mopping up. You're like, hey, c- can you just keep it down? I'm <laughs> not done. Are you listening? You're the <laughs> only one
2: here. It's just me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Kyle's known, been known to preach a lengthy one. Or uh, time, hey,
2: I have to do a caveat. Two. This week was not my fault. The clock messed up. I thought I was <laughs> under 35, and if I looked back. I edited it yesterday. It was 44, and I was like, what hey, happened the clock messed up oh, don't even on me <laughs> <laughs> what happened mister you were back there on the computer i shared an extra story because i thought i had enough time because the clock messed up on me we had a little technical and I was difficulty. Like, oh
3: 44 i thought i was under 35. even my grandson owen s- made a comment to me this week he said yeah it was really long sunday and i said <laughs> he says i'm i'm not normally sitting in there the whole time and, and it was long and I thought, okay. Yeah, the clock he messed noticed. me up. I thought <laughs> I was under 35.
2: I'm like, oh, good. I got, there's five minutes on the clock. I'm like, oh, I was going to cut this story. I'm going to put it back in. And then Scott tells me afterwards, hey, did you notice the clock clock malfunction? No, I didn't. I wouldn't have <laughs> shared that extra story at the end. So, yeah. It happens. It Forty happens. F- 44 minutes. It's all little right. bit. right. We're hey, good. We didn't have a video. More people we
0: sharing, still, about, you know, hearing about Jesus. Yeah, it's you know, good. It's getting, getting them connected. Good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. We're running, kind of running out of time today to really dive in too deep on John chapter thirteen. Oh man, there's
3: we so go, much. We could go two
2: two parter episode. We could go this
0: weekend, next start, week, start the conversation. Tune back in. Um, but we're in this. John's taken. I don't know how much a big chunk of his eyewitness count centered around this last week with Jesus and the mm-hmm. death and resurrection because it is the focal point, foundation of our faith. Like if the death and resurrection didn't happen, like it's our faith is useless. But a good thing Jesus is God and died for our sins, conquered death. It was impossible for death to hold him down. And um, and he rose again and so they're having just before the Passover feast, they're having this moment, uh, Jesus does with his it's a pretty common or really well known situation where Jesus serves his disciples by doing a daily menial meaning what am I what, what am I looking for? Menial. Menial, thank you. I didn't know where you were going uh, on. Yeah, it's he's like the meaningful expert. what do you say? Yeah, no know. menial Uh, mr valedictorian over here he's always got me covered (laughs) um but he's just loving his disciples and i just got even just through for one verse and i was like man this is we could talk for 20 episodes on this but Uh, he just showed him how much he loved him loved him till the end this the niv that i have says the full extent of his love just that he continued to love him and what love really is um in this situation just he's serving them
3: yeah the, 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 word, the phrase there, he loved them to the end, uh, in the margin of my Bible, they offer a couple of other suggested uh, understandings of the word because the word is really a rich word. He loved them to the uttermost is one translation. Yeah. Uh, love them eternally. I, the, it, the idea that he just, he loved them with all he had, right? Like he didn't hold back anything right up till. The time of his, his death and resurrection. I love
2: how John does that sometimes with the way that he writes, right? Grace on grace on grace, like this idea that it's like, okay, here's what you understand love to be, and like, but when I experience that in Jesus, I experience love, but then I experience love on top of that love, yeah, right? Like love till the very end in its fullness in its abundance. What do you abundance. think he's
0: driving at on in this situation when he's saying Til the end, till the end to the full extent till it's like a crazy uh, it, amount of love?
2: I don't know how theologically accurate this is, but when I read (laughs) John's words and understand the way that he describes these things, and I understand his experience with Jesus, and I just feel like everything that he does in describing his relationship with Jesus is like this abundance, right? And so I, I picture a guy who's had relationships and had experience and experienced love or what he would define as love, and then he meets Jesus and experiences that in an abundance that he didn't even think was possible. Right, and he talks about these experiences of grace, and he talks about this understanding of, like, we, I looked to the Old Testament, and I look to the Jewish understanding of what grace was, and we knew that God was gracious. And uh, in Jewish culture, we've always understood this gracious God, and then there's Jesus. And so, like, grace exploded, and, like, grace is personified, and it's grace on grace on grace on grace. And, you know, he understands this idea of love and, and light, and all, And all. but now there's Jesus, and it's like, I mean, he almost can't do it justice in his words to describe the the personification of that now in human form and in relationship with me. He's going like I felt it. And I, I felt this love that's abundant and everlasting. And I like it was to the very end. It didn't stop. It never stopped. It never ceased. It was just continually going. And I just don't think he'd ever experienced I don't think anybody had ever experienced love like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was nothing that stopped Jesus's love.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, I was asked myself, like, what does this mean? It's it's the task of, you know, he took the task of the servant to do this practical thing of like, hey, they walked around in dirt. uh, They had sandals or barefoot. And so they needed their feet to be washed because it was kind of gross. You enter someone's house, you wouldn't want to, you know, dirty up their place even more. So Jesus, who is the king of the universe, who is God, like humbled himself to come and become flesh, but then he even takes this farther to serve people, serve his his followers, his disciples, right? Role reversal. Mm-hmm. But he also is like this foreshadowing, because Peter objects. And what is Peter objecting to? The actual washing and what Jesus says, hey, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. For me, I'm like, well, they didn't get, he was washing the feet, like some some soap and some water there. No, he didn't get that symbolically, I think Jesus is foreshadowing like, hey, Peter, if you don't want anything to do with me, your sins can't be forgiven, because I'm going to go to the cross here. That's for me, that's the full extent of the love is he gave his life, John 15, uh, 13, no greater love than this, than a man would lay down his life for you know, another. And that's what yeah. Jesus did To in, pay in, for their sin, to provide for the resurrection to be possible, that Jesus is the life and the light and the resurrection.
3: In uh, Jesus' exchange with Peter, I think Peter's, Jesus is trying to help him understand what you just said, is that that's the case. And so Peter's starting to catch on, and, and Jesus makes the statement, um, hey, if I don't wash your feet, then, then you and I don't really have anything to do with each other. You don't, there's nothing going on here. And Peter's like, oh, no, that's not an acceptable outcome so then he he just jumps in like peter does he's kind of all or nothing so oh well wash the whole body then not just my feet but like (laughs) if that's what's going on here then i'm i'm all in 100 percent
0: he starts taking his shirt off he's like let's go jesus armpits you
3: gotta you gotta love peter i mean he's so easy to relate to
0: like i got boys chris maybe you too with like i got teenage boys or and my daughter and my even my nine-year-old now like i was tugging him last night i'm like bro shower day tomorrow he's like why I'm like, because I don't know how many days it's been, and you're getting to the stage where you stink, man. He's like, it's not bad. It's fine. I'll, like, hit it after school. I'm like, because yeah. he hates shower. I don't know why. Why do they all hate showering? I'm always, Not my daughter. My daughter's very, I should watch myself here, but my boys are always like, it's fine. Like, dude, you stink. Your whole room, like. Get, uh, they, get
3: the they, hate, taken they hate they hate showering until they have a girlfriend. I think. <laughs> I love showering. I, I how don't how know. I
2: always want to shower like two yeah. times a day. Like my mom was like, "You're weird." Like my brother's like, eh. "I'm like, yeah, I'll shower." She's like,
1: "Yeah, I feel like I have clean kids." <laughs> Do you? I, maybe I'm just like the pretty boy. Like I didn't. Showers were never my thing. I always bathe. Really. So, like, I always take baths. Really. Yeah. my kids take baths. Wow. So unless we're like really in a hurry, but man, there's nothing like kicking back and reading in the bathtub.
3: I've been known to take a bath or two in my day. I, I kind of like, you know, there's some uh, relaxation. One stuff, or two?
0: You're pretty. You're, you well, have a, yeah, a I jetted would, tub for a reason. I, yeah. I do have a jetted tub, oh, but yeah. I haven't, been in, yeah, I haven't yeah,
3: been in it. With a TV. I haven't been in it literally for probably a year. Really? Yeah, Man, oh, yeah, true story. That's surprising. But here's the thing. Anytime I've ever taken a bath, I always feel like I need to shower afterwards. Because <laughs> when you're in a bath, you're bathing in your own stuff. You know <laughs> what I mean? Your own dirt and sweat. and It's like, ah, oh, that's in that water. I don't know. That's just my thing.
0: I get on tangents.
1: My bad.
3: Yeah, Anyways. yeah. Hey, back back Jesus. to... Uh, Did you have
1: something you wanted to share? Well, I think, go ahead. I think it's interesting with that the passage, of he, like, he loved them to the end. Like, we know that Jesus is re- or the reference there is that he loved them eternally. But I also think, like, when you look at the life of Christ, there's always this, like, go one extra step. Like, yeah. Like, you know... It, Give him the coat off your back, like go go an extra, extra mile. You just talked about, about in, that, and, Kyle. Uh, on
2: Sunday, I spoke about yeah, it for like so forty-four minutes or so on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, do, Chris. If you want to listen, that, like
1: when this reference to he loved them to the end was like almost he loved them like nobody else could. Mm-hmm. You know, like because our our love for one another on this earth is um, it's temporal, it's uh, it's short-lived, it's transactionally based and jesus's love for us was it, it not only carried with them till the end of his life on this earth, but it went one extra mile and I think that that's uh, again like to to highlight the grace of God um to continually go the extra mile with those that he, that would spit in his face yeah it was so so amazing yeah, and yeah,
2: and I think you guys both referenced it, and there's something going on here that's tangible right that There's that the the verbiage here is that he showed them that, that like, and I think John specifically as he's penning this goes like it was not this like ambiguous type of like I love you and I care about you because you know I'm supposed to or because you're important to me like it became. More and more tangible as Jesus' life went on, and they saw it, and they go, like, this is, and I think, again, for John, he goes, this was love now that I could touch. I could feel it, and he showed us the full extent of his love, that it's, it's real deal, and, yeah. and it's going to continue. And, and John's, like Scott, like you said, he's leading up to the fact where it becomes, like, abundantly clear in the fact that he died for us. Right. That John's, like, he's showing us. He's not just yeah. talking it. He's yeah. doing it what real love is.
3: We skipped over uh, verse 3 a little bit in, in our discussion of this passage, and, and I want to highlight it. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. And, and he, he alludes to that also in verse 1, knowing that his hour has come, that he would depart from this world and go to the Father. Jesus is self-aware in this moment, very, very aware of who he is, where he's come from, that he's the creator, that he's the Lord, that he's the king, that he is God himself and human. He's very aware of all of that. He also knows that the devil has entered into Judas's heart. And, and knowing all of that, he still takes off his outer garments, mm-hmm. wraps a towel around himself, and does this menial thing. And I, I just, we can't, I can't comprehend what it might have been like or what it would have felt like for the disciples. They they don't quite get it perhaps, but Jesus is fully aware of what's mm-hmm. going on. Can you imagine Jesus in human form, mm-hmm. kneeling at your feet and washing them and performing that kind of a task? I mean, that's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. And yeah. and what a to your point, Kyle, what a demonstration of the love that he has for him. When the creator of the universe would do that, lowly of a task. Mm-hmm.
0: And to Chris, your point, the extra mile, I'm always caught off guard, blown away by the fact that he did that to the one who Satan had already prompted. Mm. In just a short moment, Satan would enter Judas and help lead him to, to do what he was going to do. And yet Jesus is washing his enemy's feet you know, and serving him. That, for me, is like the full extent. like That's the extra 27,000 miles. And didn't Jesus, he's loving them.
3: didn't he on a prior occasion teach us to love our enemies? Yeah. And now he's demonstrating what that looks like.
0: Jesus always walked the walk. He just didn't talk about it. So, uh, Chris, we really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your story. Um, people were, were encouraged. Uh, I know they'll be, you know, inspired. And hopefully some people will live out their passions and follow Jesus. Um, and so, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. You can help people find and follow Jesus by subscribing to the podcast, sharing it with some friends, and leaving a review so it's easier for others to find it.